So I want to welcome you to a, uh, man, a very special Saturday night service. Uh, I assume most of you are planning to either sleep in or get up early enough to watch a Chiefs game. And for those of you who are in our video service on Sunday morning, um, I want to say good morning to you and thank you for coming um, during the game. We know that as our church grows, one of the ways we'll be able to do ministry is through kind of our digital product. So we're kind of using this weekend with an extra service to just practice a little bit. So if you are in the one of three Sunday morning services that is videoed and you're wondering why it's because your service lost the coin toss um, <laughs> but it's because we're just trying to practice what we know is coming in the future the ability um, to do more ministry through digital means so um, thank you for uh, watching with us um, the answer to your question is yes I am aware that I look like a peppermint um, <laughs> and that you now know where Waldo is because my friends let me know that in the atrium as I was walking into church tonight, as if that would leave me any time to even change my shirt. <laughs> so the goal on a Chiefs Chapel was to wear red, but I ended up being more candy cane than Chiefs, so um, you're welcome. I hope it is not distracting for you. Um, as we start November at Journey, I want to go to the end of November and kind of get you ready, because on November 26th, we will start... What we, what we are calling, what is called the Advent season at Journey. We have not traditionally been a church that has done the five Advent candles, the Advent readings, the Advent plan, but we are, we are doing that this year, and I believe we'll do that every year moving forward because it's time to take back what the Christmas holiday means from the American culture. And it's time to remember not just in one hour on a Christmas Eve service, but all month long, that Christmas is about celebrating who Jesus was who he is and who he is going to be. The Advent season is about looking back to the first coming of Jesus and looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. So November 26th through Christmas Eve is going to be really special. I hope in your family you'll take the entire month to do some Advent things. We've got an Advent resource table in the Connection Center that's got an incredible Advent devotional that our family did together last year. It's kind of a family devotional about two pages of reading and then a question every day in December. We've got a couple different kits um, of Advent candles that you can purchase so that as a family, specifically those of you with young kids, you can light the candle every Sunday and talk a little bit about Jesus and what the Advent season means. We've got some Advent memory card packs for you out there. Everything in the resource table is an example with a QR code you can click to get those. There's also, if you grabbed a bulletin tonight, a card inside your bulletin with a QR code that'll take you to a website with everything that's on that table. Between now and the end of the month, get your family ready for Advent season so that Christmas with Jesus is not just one hour, uh, at a Christmas Eve service, but all month long, as the holiday season rages around us, we are focused on Jesus and who he is. Amen? Amen. Like, that's the goal of Advent season um, this year at Journey. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 4, as we move into week 7 of this series. Uh, we told you several weeks ago that as we begin January 2024, we're kicking into an initiative called Come and Surrender, 1% of your life for kingdom living for the purpose of kingdom impact. That's what we're going to do for 18 months, beginning in 2024. But we are kind of learning right now how to have a, a, a mentality of being surrendered, of leveraging our life for Jesus and his kingdom by studying the book of Philippians, uh, an author by the name of Paul who's in prison, who's just talking about how he has surrendered everything in his life for God to use powerfully. He's talked about surrendering his situation, surrendering his perspective, surrendering his time to live with others, pour into other people, let other people pour into him. And as we get into tonight's text, we're going we're gonna to be in a Bible study that's just called Surrender My Thought Life. But it's not really just how you think, 
Um, it's what you're thinking about and how you are feeding your mind to talk to you. Uh, I would say this, if this series has revealed to us that the foundation of our purpose in life has to be Jesus and his mission, what tonight's message is going to reveal is that the foundation for how Christians are supposed to think has to be the Holy Spirit. And if you do not know how to hear his voice, you are going to think the wrong things. And if you think the wrong things or you think on the wrong things, if you think on the wrong things and think the wrong things, eventually you're going to say the wrong things, do the wrong things. So we're talking about surrendering our thought life to figuring out how to let the Holy Spirit be in charge of what is entering our heart and our head on a daily basis. That's what we're going to study. Just a few verses tonight in Philippians 4, Philippians 4.4 4, through Philippians 4.9. And as we kind of dig into tonight's scripture, um, I want to start with just a, a picture um, of a cartoon from my childhood. And I am now convinced uh, as a kid of the 80s and 90s, that our cartoons were better than cartoons today. Do any of you have kids or grandkids and agree that our cartoons, I, I, I just think our cartoons were better. Um, and I can picture vividly in my head a cat that chased around a little mouse. Y'all remember Tom and Jerry? Um, and every now and then, Tom would catch Jerry in this like little red cat with pointy ears and a long pointy tail with a pitchfork that looked like Tom but the satanic form of Tom would pop up on one shoulder, and then Tom with a halo around his head. It's interesting that they always had a, a, like Satan and an angel. Never Satan and Jesus, Satan and an angel. Um, you'd have pitchfork Tom and halo Tom, basically one of them saying, eat Jerry, don't eat Jerry, eat Jerry, don't eat Jerry. As simple as that illustration is, the Apostle Paul in Scripture are going to teach us that is happening every day in your life. And if you don't learn how to listen to Halo Tom, you're going to listen to Pitchfork Tom, and your thought life is not going to allow you to be surrendered to Jesus. So this is a really important text tonight. It's simple, but it's important how we train our minds to be surrendered to think about the things of Jesus. We're going to start in verses 4 through 7 tonight with, number one, what my spirit should be focusing on. I hope you'll see on your notes that the word spirit is capitalized. That means it stands for the Holy Spirit. What we're going to read is what the Holy Spirit is focused on and what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you as you live your daily life. The Apostle Paul is saying, if your thought life is surrendered, here's what the Spirit continually is telling you to focus on. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this week was Halloween. I don't know how many of you went to get candy or passed out candy, but uh, if you're like me, you drove by several houses in your neighborhood that take Halloween far more seriously than maybe you do. And some of them like had full cemeteries in their front yard. And most of the stones in the, in, you know, the fake stones in the fake cemeteries had three letters on the front of that tombstone. And those letters were what? R.I.P., which means what? Do you know that that's one of the best things that you can wish for people? that they would rest in peace. But in American culture, we wait till people are dead to say that because we're of a mind that it is impossible while you're alive to be at rest and to have peace. 
So in Israel, one of my favorite parts about going to Israel is being there on Shabbat or the Sabbath. It would be Sabbath there now, Saturday. The greeting in Israel that you greet each other with on the Sabbath is Shabbat Shalom. It literally means rest in peace. They tell each other, hey, don't wait till you're dead to rest and be at peace. Let's, because of our heritage and because of our God and because of our calling, let's be at rest and let's be at peace. The Apostle Paul is literally saying here, God's plan for his followers is that they would be able to live at a state of resting in the peace that God gives them. He says, if you learn to surrender your thought life, you will be guarded literally to that posture and that position. If you look at uh, verse 7, we see that uh, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. It's the Greek word frueo, and it's the posture and picture of shalom. You say, why is it the posture and the picture? Because the word guard is a word that's often used of Roman garrisons, ro the, the Roman soldiers, um, the Roman culture that was surrounding the people of Israel, and we see it best. We see what it looks like to be guarded by the Roman soldiers um, in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, we're told that two of the disciples were arrested, James and Peter. We're told that James was beheaded, but that Peter was put in prison, and he was commanded to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. It doesn't mean he had 16 soldiers around him at once. It means that they went on shifts, but he never had less than four. And we're told in the morning when an angel came to like miraculously release Peter from prison, it said he was sleeping chained to a guard on either hand, right and left, and that at the door there were two guards who were standing guard at the door. The Apostle Paul says, as Christians, if we learn how to surrender our thought life, if we learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit, the thoughts that will be invading us will literally guard our hearts and our minds, which are the center of spiritual warfare, what we think, what we feel. If we learn how to surrender our thoughts to the power of the gospel, literally what we think and what we feel would look like it's guarded on either side by a soldier of God and two standing at the door, you, you are in a place where nothing can get to your head and your heart. You will literally be able to live in a posture of rest and peace because you've learned how to surrender your thoughts and how you think to Jesus. You've learned how to process life in a way that allows your heart on right and left hand to be chained to a soldier of God and they're also standing guard at the door so that you can, in the worst moments, just sleep like a baby, like Peter in Acts chapter 12. That's what, like, that's what Paul is trying to give us the picture of. You can have this peace if you want it. Your heart and your mind can be protected. Now, you may think some things that are unhealthy, but Paul is going to teach us how even to process unhealthy thoughts and not to think them. Uh, we, we, this week, were processing 2023. We were putting together in our ministry time our 2023 annual report that we'll release in January with kind of our year in giving, giving statements, celebrating the year. And we talked about what were the highlights of journey in 2023. And one of them was our marriage conference. I don't know if any of you get to come to our marriage conference with Pastor Daniel Floyd and his wife Tammy uh, on Saturday, a tremendous Q&A with one of our teaching pastors, Marcellus Casey, uh, and his wife Stephanie. But Pastor Daniel gave a line during the marriage conference. Every now and then you go to an entire weekend event 
for one line that you will remember for the rest of your life. I remember Pastor Daniel saying, you know you don't always have to think what you think. Remember when he said that? You know you don't have to always think what you think. Because sometimes you're going to think things that aren't true. So you don't have to think what you think. You've got to stop the thoughts in your head. You've got to surrender them to God. And you've got to figure out what's true and what's not true. Paul says, I can give you a way if you will surrender your thought life to, as a follower of Jesus. I'll give you a way that every thought that is processed, not that comes, but that is processed, will allow you to R-I-P, rest in peace. How's he going to do that? He's going to tell us how to pursue shalom. But I think it's really, really important to understand that our world has plagiarized his plan, at least half of it. So as we look today at uh, verses 4 and 5 and 6, we see that we can pursue shalom, but I want to show you how, from a human standpoint, our culture has plagiarized half of what Paul has written. Like, our, our culture has said, if you want to pursue shalom, you've got to rejoice. You've got to have the power of positive thinking. You have to have joy and things have to be good. There are people who have made tens of millions of dollars trying to teach people to think positively. And they say that'll bring them peace. They'll say you've got to have gentleness. The woman a few years ago who had a talk show named Ellen DeGeneres who never signed off her talk show without saying, and don't forget, be kind to one another only to have her talk show shut down because of the toxic culture of how mean she was to all of her staff and her guests. But it's a great statement that can make you a lot of money. Like, just be kind. Put that on a t-shirt. It'll sell. Some of you have that t-shirt. Pursuing shalom. Don't be anxious. Have you ever heard a song called Don't Worry? Be happy. Don't be anxious. This is an industry we can get behind. When I was in high school, the skater industry came out with a slogan called No Fear. So there's one skater in the house, like no other skaters. Glad to know I'm not in a skating community tonight. No Fear was the skating slogan, for those of you who've never gotten on the board a little bit. Like, the world, watch this. The world is trying to pursue shalom. They're just trying to do it from a human standpoint. You, if, you could, if you could bottle this, you can sell it. Be happy. Be gentle. Be positive. Everyone is saying, I absolutely want to do that. But it's really, really hard when life keeps coming at me. That's because this is not Paul's formula. It is, it is the ingredients, but it is not kind of how they're mixed together and how they get stuck together and cooked in the oven so that we can eat them as spiritual food. You see, Paul's formula is far different. He says when you pursue shalom from a spiritual standpoint, when, when you focus on what the Holy Spirit is telling you will give you shalom, he's saying there's a couple different things. In verse 4, he says you rejoice, but your rejoicing is in the Lord. He's not just telling you be positive. He's not telling you the power of positive thinking. He's not telling you to just have joy. He's saying we can have a positive mindset because we can rejoice in what God is doing in us and through us, no matter what we're going through in life. See, Christians don't always rejoice in what's going on around them because sometimes what's going on around us is not worth rejoicing in. Jesus said in his Beatitudes, sometimes you will be blessed if you mourn what's going on around you because it's awful. But you can always rejoice in how God is using that in you 
and how God is working through you in the world through the situations that you have. This word joy in the New Testament is a really fascinating word because joy is never expressed as a feeling. It's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have it in you. The question is, do you express it? Joy is never expressed as a feeling. It's always expressed as a belief in action. This word rejoice in the original Greek language is written in, written in the present imperative, which means it's something you have to do, not something you feel like doing. It's not a consequence of your circumstance. It's a choice in the middle of your circumstance. I'm going to rejoice. No matter what's going on, I'm going to rejoice. Because what's going around me, I mourn what's going around me. But man, what God's doing in me, and I know what later God can do through me, that's worth having joy in. I love the great author A.W. Tozer in his landmark book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Watch this. Were we able to extract from any man or woman a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. Hey, Paul. Hey, Apostle Paul, what comes into your head when you think about God? Paul says this, he's working right now for my good and his glory. That's what I think about my God. He is working right now for my good and for my glory, and because of that, I rejoice. Not in life, but in God. Verse 5 says we have to have gentleness, but not just to be nice. We are gentle because the Lord is near. We are gentle, watch this, because my spiritual influence is really important because I know Jesus is coming back to either judge or rescue the world. So my attitude in how I interact with other people is really important for them to be able to see Jesus. Now Paul's already given us this plan in Philippians chapter 2. He's like, your attitude ought to be the same as Christ Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Paul's like, your attitude should be the same attitude of Jesus where like literally in every situation you're not thinking what's in it for me, but you're thinking how can God use this through me so that others might see him. Be gentle, like because God is coming back. And it's really important that when people look at you, they see him. I think sometimes we have forgotten this in this generation of church, that God is coming back and he's not just coming back to rescue He's coming back to rescue those that are his, but he's coming back to judge to eternal damnation those who are not. So Paul's like, have an awareness of that and live to have some spiritual influence over people. I read an article recently from a pastor in the progressive church who was bemoaning the Jonathan Edwards sermon from the first great awakening in the mid, early part, or mid to early part of the early 1700s, um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I believe in one aspect, the author of this article that I read got it right. He said, I don't think God's primary attribute that the world should know about is his anger. I think it should be his love. Agree. But what he left out is, but to tell the whole world that God is not angry at all about sin and that he won't judge sin, that doesn't seem to be very loving. If it's true, then the Bible says that it is. So is God loving? Yes. But is he coming again to judge sin? Yes. Is that near? It's nearer than it was yesterday, if I understand like chronology correctly. So Paul says be gentle, not just to be nice, but to be influential spiritually 
because Jesus is coming back. And then in verse 6, Paul doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. He says, don't worry, pray. Don't be anxious. In every situation, pray. Now, when you begin to mature in your theology of prayer, here's what you're going to understand. Prayer does not remind God that we need his help. Prayer reminds us that we have his help. We never pray and God's like, I'm so glad you told me that. I was off last week and I just, I was not aware. Like that has never happened when you have prayed. Prayer rarely gets God's attention about you as much as it gets your attention about him and reminds you God sees this. Watch this. Prayer is always the answer to peace even when your prayer is not answered. Prayer is always your answer to peace even when your prayer is not answered. If you don't believe me, just start praying and you'll start feeling more at peace even before the prayer is answered. A few years ago, Pastor Craig Groeschel, pastor of Life Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, um, wrote a really good book called Winning the War in Your Mind. Change your thinking, change your life. It's a really good book. For those of you who like, feel like you're tortured with your thoughts, this would be a good book for you to read. And in it, he quotes um, a neurotheology, um, a neurotheology expert, which means somebody who studies the brain to understand its spiritual impact on people. He quotes a neurotheology expert on the act not the answers, but the act of prayer. And she says this. It's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Eight weeks of 12 minutes a day focused prayer literally changes the way a machine sees your brain. It changes the way you think. Whether or not that prayer is answered or not, the way you feel about what you're talking to God about changes. So Paul says, I want your heart and your mind to be chained, right hand and left hand, two guards at the door, guarded by RIP, rest and peace, shalom. But like you've got to follow the formula. 2 Corinthians 10.5 would say this, we don't have to think everything we think, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You don't always have to think what you think. In this book, Craig Rochelle said that he literally created from an Amazon package what he called his God box. Because neurotheologians tell us, as they've studied the brain, and they've studied thought patterns, that every person on average has 500 unwanted and intrusive thoughts a day that last on average 14 seconds. Two hours a day of you thinking something you didn't try to think about and you wish you weren't thinking about. Two hours a day of those thoughts. Groeschel said he literally took an Amazon package, he taped it shut, he wrote the word God on it, and he said, I turned it into my God box, and anytime I had an unwanted intrusive thought, I literally would write it down and go put it in the top of that box like it was a piggy bank and think, I have given this one to God, and I would try not to think about it the rest of the day because I desire for my thought life to give me shalom, rest, and peace. I don't want to have to think everything that I think. So it's interesting, in summary of this point, Paul says, focus on four things. It ends up really being one thing. My spirit should focus on surrendering my thought life. My spirit should focus on prayer, perspective, and promise. But it's interesting because prayer reminds me that Jesus knows me. He sees me. He loves me. He cares for me. 
perspective reminds me that Jesus is using my current situation for my spiritual good and for his spiritual glory. The promise is that Jesus is coming back to rescue me. So, yes, we want to focus on prayer and we want to focus on perspective and we want to focus on promise. But all of those things lead us ultimately to look at who? His name is Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. We like that guy. We just don't think about him enough. We don't focus on him enough. Studies have been done in the unchurched world of people who are unchurched because they've had a bad experience with Christianity. But in survey after survey after survey of tens of thousands of people, hardly anybody's had a bad experience with Jesus. And what they have found from the world that doesn't go to church is there are a lot of people who don't think well of Christianity who do think well of Jesus. And I wonder how many people in church think as much about Jesus as people who aren't in the church think about Jesus and how that could change your thought life. If no matter what was happening to you, you thought, you know what, Jesus knows about this. He loves me. He cares for me. He's aware of it. Um, he's going to use it. I didn't cause it, but he's going to use it for his purpose. He's going to use it for his glory. And his promise is he's coming back. So at the end of the day, it's all going to be okay. Like, if at every situation you just pause to think about Jesus, prayer, perspective, promise, Paul says that focus would impact deeply the Holy Spirit's ability to help you think healthy thoughts spiritually and help you feel healthy things spiritually. Some of you are like, man, that's not the way it works for me. That's because your spiritual diet is not very good. You are feeding, constantly feeding your thought life and your heart life. You're just not feeding them Jesus enough. So in the first part of this text, Paul's going to tell us what our spirit should be focusing on. But in the second part of the text, Paul's going to tell us what my spirit should be feeding on. Again, capital S, which means Holy Spirit. Paul's going to say you've got to feed the Holy Spirit so that it's stronger than your flesh. Every day, they're in a battle, right? You've got, you've got Tom with a pitchfork. You've got Tom with a halo. If you put more cat food in Tom with the halo's bowl than you do with Tom with the pitchfork's bowl, eventually Tom with the halo is going to be stronger than Tom with the pitchfork, and he's going to take him out. That's like the very Looney Tunes version of what I'm trying to preach to you tonight out of Philippians chapter 4. What my spirit should feed on. Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Two verses, a lifetime of challenge. I honestly don't know that there are two more powerful verses in the New Testament other than John 3.16 and 3.17 that tell us that Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn the world because God loves the world. Other than those two, I think these might be the two most powerful and impactive, impactful verses in the entire New Testament. I would say this, Philippians 4.8, if we talk about them one at a time, seems to be one of the most absurd verses in the entire New Testament. I don't want to say it is absurd. I don't want to say the truth of it is absurd. I don't want to say the reality of it is absurd. I want to say the, pra the practicality of Philippians 4.8 as an American living in Lee Summit, Missouri in November of 2023 seems absurd. It seems impossible. It seems absolutely absurd. Because what the Apostle Paul is telling us is to think about, it's the Greek word lagazomai, it's the word we get logic from, Paul is saying, if you want to surrender your thought life to Jesus, 
you are commanded to use this spiritual logic. Because it's a present imperative word in the Greek language, Paul literally is commanding Christians to think this way so that they might feed their Holy Spirit. He gives us eight ways to think in verse 8. As you think, process things through, is this true? That means biblically true, spiritual truth. Is what I'm thinking, is what I just heard, is what that person just said to me, is it true? Is it noble? Is this a moral high rather than a spiritual high? I think one of the great problems with people in the church today is we're looking for a spiritual high rather than a moral high. And spiritual highs come and go, but a moral high like stands the test of time. Is what I'm thinking morally respected by all? Is it right? This in the Greek language should be translated righteous. It means does this come from God? Can this connect me to God? Is it pure? This can be translated, is it free from sin? Is what I'm thinking, what I'm getting ready to say, what I'm feeling totally free from sin? Is it lovely? Is it something that's pleasing to God? Is it admirable? Is it something that's well thought of by everyone? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? Two words that just summarize the above list. I would give you this challenge. If you spoke what you were thinking, if you posted what you were thinking, would everyone who read it or hear it think these eight things about it? That's the lens. Paul said, as a Christian, you are commanded. Here's your lens of logic. Here's how you are commanded to think and process your thoughts. I would say this, obedience to just Philippians 4.8 would provide plenty of time for every 1% initiative that we have. If we said, only feed your soul with what meets the criteria of Philippians 4.8, the vast majority of what you fed your soul, you would not be able to feed your soul anymore. Here's how I know that. My senior year at Liberty University in 1999, I had a mentor who made me memorize these verses, and then he made me spend a month as a test feeding my soul with nothing but Philippians 4.8 thoughts. And at the time, I didn't... I didn't think I had that much carnality feeding my spirit. But what I realized, when everything that came into my ears and eyes had to meet this, um, for me specifically, the music, almost all the music that I listened to had to go because none of it met this standard. Um, I didn't watch terrible movies and television, but very few of the things that I was watching met this list. Um, and at the time, like, the guys that I was engaged with were listening to a series of comedians in the late 90s that were hilarious, but they didn't say one thing that met this list. And I found out, like, almost everything that I hear on a weekly basis violates this list. And I remember thinking at the end of the month, if I'm going to live my life this way, it rules out almost all of the music and movies that are, like, available to me. It rules out almost all of the television and even the news that is available to me. It rules out almost all of the talk radio that I listen to in this day and age would rule out almost every social media follow that you have. Like if this was, it's why it seems absurd. If we really did this, our life would have to look totally different than every other person walking around planet Earth that we engage with on a daily basis. Yeah, Keith, it should. That's the thought. Like, nearly every generation on your notes 
in church histories had to choose culture or Christianity, it might be time for our generation to choose culture or Christianity. Because I just don't know how we can continue feeding our soul what we feed our soul and hope that we rest in peace on a daily basis. See, what's absurd is not Philippians 4.8. What's absurd is thinking that we can feed our heart, mind, and soul 24 hours a day, nothing but spiritual garbage, and yet when we need our heart and mind to be spiritually filled at the most important times, to think that's going to produce like spiritual gold. That's absurd. It's interesting, one of our challenges next year, 1% more for 2024, is a challenge we're calling 36 and 24. We're asking every family in our church, specifically those with children, to come to church 36 times in person in 2024, which for many would be more than they came to church in 2023. To come an hour and to serve in church an hour that week, 36 times, three times a month if you can like do a little bit of math. Most in our church do not do that. If everyone met that, that would be 72 hours of church in 2024. 72 hours. You know, the average American spends 730 hours on social media in the course of a year. Which, by the way, is only two hours a day. I heard that stat and I thought, it's got to be more. <laughs> got to be more than 730 hours. If it's only two hours a day, you're spending 10 times more feeding your soul with social media than spiritual community and engagement on Sunday mornings yet you think your heart's going to think Jesus' thoughts? We're asking people to surrender 1% of their week, an hour and 40 minutes, or basically 90 minutes, to be in spiritual community with people, to be in a discipleship group this year. 90 minutes a week. You know, the average American watches 28 hours of television every week. We're asking people to spend 5% of the time they they watch television talking about Jesus with other Christians, And thinking that that 5% is going to be enough to make their heart and their head think Jesus' thoughts. There's no way. You know, the average American sends 72 text messages a day, three an hour on average, even though most of us are asleep several of those hours. What if every 20 minutes that you were awake, you stopped and prayed for 30 seconds? That'd be 72 times a day if you stayed awake for 24 hours. You think that might change how you think, feel during the course of a day? Every 20 minutes, set my alarm and just stop and pray for 30 seconds about the last 20 minutes or the next 20 minutes. See, Paul says, I got a radical formula that will change how your heart and your mind feel. You will rest in peace. But you got to be really intentional about surrendering it to God's plan for your life. It's interesting, Philippians 4, 8 seems absurd, it's not. Philippians 4, 9, told you these are two really good verses. To me, is one of the most convicting verses in the entire New Testament. And I'll close with this thought. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. Let me read it again. For those of you who aren't paying attention, pay attention now. We're within three minutes. <laughs> whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me. Do that, and the God of peace will be with you. Come on, Paul. Paul, like in verse 7, says, here's this big spiritual formula. Do this, do all these spirit, learn this, and then do this, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Or, if you don't want to learn all that, 
just become exactly like me. Because that's how my heart is. My heart and my mind are at peace. I cannot say that. I cannot tell someone, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, do the exact same thing and you'll always have peace. I can't say that. But I want to be able to say that. Because Paul is saying when our lives become the picture of all the spiritual lessons, Paul, I can tell you the lessons or I can just introduce myself. When our lives become the picture of all the spiritual lesson, then our lives can be used to bring the peace of God to others. Like if we get it, others might get it. And I don't know if you've looked around recently. I don't know if you've read much social media recently. Statistics say we have. I don't know if you've watched the news lately. Statistics say we have. There's some people who need some rest and some peace in our world. Paul says, live like me and they'll see it in you. I had lunch with a friend who's in this service. I saw him running around in a Mahomes jersey in the atrium a couple weeks ago. Man, he told me the greatest story. He said he was at church and he's been spending some time just kind of pouring into someone who goes to our church who also lives in his neighborhood. He said a few weeks ago they had a just kind of a a, a random, uh, what seemed to be coincidental connection. They were same place, same time, and just ended up talking to one another. And he said they got talking about spiritual things. And the guy said to him a couple weeks ago, um, I was in church um, during the worship time, and I was sitting like a row behind you and a couple seats down. And he said, I was watching you sing about God. And your hands were raised, and there were tears rolling down your face, and I could tell you were connected with heaven. And he said, the guy started crying, and he said, I want that too. I want what I saw that you have in this vertical connection that I don't. And he said, I got a chance to just talk about how the gospel has played out in my life and how it could play out in his. The world is looking for peace. And if you are a Christian who has surrendered your thought life in a way that brings peace, shalom to your heart and your head, person after person after person is going to say, can I ask you a question? How do you, how are you who you are in the midst of what you're going through? Because I want that too. Paul says you can learn all the lessons or you can know me. Whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you, I've taught you, like, shalom rules my heart and head. So just become like me, and you'll get there. As we go back to turning Christmas season into Jesus season in Advent, the five Advent candles represent uh, hope and faith and peace and joy in Jesus. I hope, if nothing else, you'll take the end of the year to begin to change just a little bit about, maybe not how you think about everything in life, but how you think about Christmas. And I hope that by giving God more of your heart and mind every day, you'll experience more of his rest and peace every day, man. What's God said to you? What do you need to do to begin to take steps towards that here and in our video teaching services? Our three questions will scroll. I'll pray quick. We'll allow you some time to pray over these questions and then we'll close in prayer together. But God, open our hearts and our minds to surrender our hearts and our minds that we might rest in your peace. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close the service after these questions.